I think it's funny that we talk so much about buyer personas and then the way that we go about building them is all internal and, you know, mm -hmm. all, all for feedback from, you know, marketing and sales without actually going out to interview buyers who fit the persona. If we could flip the switch on one thing, I think it would be to, to flip that switch toward being radically buyer-centric. Hi, welcome back to Stop Killing Deals. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with Mike Kunkel, an internationally recognized expert on sales training, sales effectiveness, and sales enablement. With more than 30 years in the sales profession, he now works as the VP of Sales Effectiveness Services for Sparks IQ. If you are in the sales profession, you've probably heard Mike speak at a conference or read his extensive thought leadership work on LinkedIn. Mike has recently collaborated with co-author Doug Wyatt to develop Sparks IQ's Modern Sales Foundations curriculum and authored their Sales Coaching Excellence course. And take a note of this, he has a book coming up called The Building Blocks of Sales Enablement, which will be published in September this year, 2021, by ATD Press. All right, so welcome, Mike Conkle, to the show. Hey, George, glad to be here. Happy to have you. In the uh, last episode, we talked about systems thinking with Ross Arnold from the Department of Defense. It was an, an interesting episode. And uh, I was thinking about sales, systems thinking, who should I call? And the uh, answer was obvious, top of mind, was Mike. So really curious to, to learn more from you today on this topic, because I know you've been thinking about it a lot. And then um, maybe we can start off by you sort of giving us a sort of your definition within the context of sales management of mm -hmm. how systems thinking can be applied or what it even is. Yeah, well, I, I cheat, George. So I use, uh, I use Daniel Kim's definition of system thinking. He's a, uh, a co-founder of a company called Pegasus Communications and uh, works at the MIT Center for Organizational Learning. And I used his definition in my book. It's a system is any group of interacting, interrelated, or interdependent parts that form a complex and unified whole with a specific purpose, right? And he goes on and talks about the fact that uh, to make this work as a system, the, those parts are interrelated and interdependent in some way. Without the interdependencies, right, it's just a bunch of things together, a bunch of parts versus a system. And the analogies I use, because it, they tend to resonate more with people, um, are the human body is one, right? We have a circulatory system at heart and, and, and blood pumping around. We have a nervous system with the, the spine and all our nerves. We have respiratory system, breathing. We have digestive systems, uh, skeletal systems, muscular systems. And all these systems in the body work together, and when they're all you know, all working well, you have a healthy human. Mm -hmm. If you have a heart problem or a lung problem or a circuit, other circulatory problem, nervous system problems, right, then something isn't working so well and, and that person won't be able to perform at their highest capacity. Um, another example of that is, is a car, an automobile, right? You've got an exhaust system and safety systems and body systems and powertrains and and this one's probably even a little bit more interesting relative to organizations because, you know, if your safety system isn't working, 
Uh, you know, you might not want to spend a whole lot of time in that car, but the car is going to drive. It's going to work, right? Now, if your powertrain isn't working or an axle is busted or your eight-cylinder car is firing on only four cylinders, that's going to be a different driving experience, right? So mm -hmm. some, some of the systems have a different impact on the whole or, in our case, on the company of the organization. But all of these interrelated systems work together. And, you know, we have hiring systems and compensation systems and learning and development systems and coaching and management systems and readiness systems. There are so many different systems inside an organization. Some of them have more relative importance than others based on what that organization does or what they're trying to accomplish. But when they're all healthy and working together, you have a really healthy, productive company. So that, that to me is um, systems thinking in a nutshell and how it applies to companies. Mm. And if we, if we hone in on, on sales and sales management specifically, um, my perception throughout the years is that it's, <clears throat> it's a system that isn't very well understood by so many people. So we, we have had at least uh, an organization or a team within an organization or teams that are selling, but sometimes perhaps without a very clear strategy or a very clear uh, ideal customer fit and a, a very clear way of selling and without maybe the competence needed or the management and coaching that is needed. So I see a lot of times companies and sales teams and leaders going out and, and fixing one particular system within the system or uh, focusing in on one molecule. Is this something you've seen as well? And, and why do you think this happens? Yeah. So there's a, this, we could talk for days about this, right? I, I show this chart sometimes, right? In, in three columns. The first column is strategy. The middle column are the, the tactics and how you plan to go to market, um, at least for sales and, and marketing and customer service, right? The tactical planning. And the third column is talent and execution. And as I look across these columns, right, it starts in the strategy with like the, the mission, the vision, the values, the market, your objectives, maybe today a digital strategy, the products and services, the market you serve, you know, all of your buyer personas, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, if you don't understand those things or do those things well in column A, how do you expect to actually then develop a really well-honed go-to-market strategy in column B and then hire people and, and clearly explain the expectations, what you're trying to accomplish and how to do it the best way possible over in column C? The, the truth is there are dependencies across these columns, strategy, tactics, execution. And so mm -hmm. often what I see is that people are focused on trying to fix something in column C, right? Because that's the last problem that happened. I call this, uh, I call this persona sometimes the master of disaster in organizations, right? It's yeah. an executive overaction to the last thing that went wrong. Uh -huh. And so knees are flying and they bounce off of foreheads and work that's being performed has to stop. And everybody focuses on this thing, which in the whole scheme of things might be relatively minor, but something went wrong by gosh. And we're going to put a lot of energy into fixing that thing. But 
we don't step back and say, well, what's the root cause of this? You know, is there some dependency before this that we need to look at? And is there some dependency in strategy? And by the way, should we really be re rethinking everyone's effort and where they're going if we have these this strategy, tactics, and execution happening? Should we just stop all of that and say, oh, we have to go over here now? What it reminds me of a little bit is uh, when my stepdaughter was nine, she played soccer in this peewee soccer league, right? When you watch, the, you could you could just say there is no, no such thing as a position on the field. Wherever the ball went, there were a whole bunch of girls and pigtails flying, right, chasing that ball around. And the coaches over the course of a season, you know, you know, peeled back their enthusiasm a bit and got them to play positions. And that was all part of the learning process. But mm -hmm. in the beginning of that season, wherever the ball was, that's where everyone else was. Mm -hmm. And there was no strategy to that no real way that they were ever going to win a bunch of games by having everybody on the team, except maybe the goalie, following the ball around on the field. This is what I, I see us doing a lot in, in the sales profession and maybe just in organizations generally, is not thinking through the entire strategy, tactics, and execution plan. And, and when something else pops up, often right in founder-led organizations, this happens with product things or companies that think they are product-led, they get this new great idea or this bright, shiny object, and it pulls things in a new direction without any concern for, well, let's run this through a strategic filter. How, what's the market size for this particular product we're thinking about or problem we're trying to solve? Um, you know, uh, what, what would we be able to charge for this? And and, you know, have we even talked to any customers about it? You know, we don't step back, we just leave. But I think, I think in general, that's a problem in business today. Yeah, and I see, I'm in the tech space. So I see all these new startups popping up every day, like, like mushrooms. I think that is a very, what you just described is, is very much what I see there. There's a new technology coming out, big funding, big marketing budget. And uh, everyone believes they need that latest tool or shiny objects or technology. Uh, and then that will magically solve all their sales problems. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've been writing a lot about the, um, the Frankenstack and all the point pollution going on in this space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's a, a symptom on the, of this, that we are trying to fix particular issues on the execution side without really understanding the entire chain and the system that we really need to take a few steps back and say, okay, why, does, why is this not happening that we want to happen? And just go backwards from there. Yeah, yeah that's I think, very interesting. Thank you. Right. And I think, you know, unfortunately, uh, the way that we go about innovation in the tech space fuels that, right? Because venture capitalists want to see traction and eyeballs and you know to do that you you can't create something that is systemic is you have to create this niche product and then you take this niche product to market and then you go you know you do the worst kind of selling possible right you just start spamming and blasting everybody playing a numbers game and some people will buy and then all of a sudden you start to get some traction and then someone will invest in you and you get your series a and you continue on through that process. So the way that we fund and fuel innovation, I think, is part of part of what creates that. And and then the market will later self-correct and you know, you'll start to see consolidation because mm -hmm. what buyers want 
is they want some something that solves a series of problem problems, not twenty five point solutions. So I think you're right on you're right on track yeah. on that. We're not thinking systemically. Back to this whole systems thinking piece. Yeah, makes sense. And and let's say we start to understand how how our sales systems uh, tie together and what we need to do from strategy to execution. When the rubber hits the road, so to speak, when the sellers actually engage with potential buyers, we are then uh, basically then uh, going into another system, right? In the, mm-hmm. the, the the buyer or the potential buyer have their systems, their way of working, their their way of thinking, their way of climbing the the ladder in that organization. Do you think we have enough skills, knowledge, insights? as sellers, sales teams, sales leaders into that. Now, when we're talking so much about buying journey and buying, facilitating buyers, helping buyers. Uh, No, I don't, George. I think it's funny that we talk so much about buyer personas and then the way that we go about building them is all internal and, you know, Mm -hmm. all, all for feedback from, you know, marketing and sales and very often without actually going out to interview buyers who fit the persona, um, you know, to find out what they're really thinking. If 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 we could if we could flip the switch on one thing, as as organizations, especially selling and marketing organizations, that could radically change how effective that we become. I think it would be to to flip that switch toward being radically buyer centric. And so, if you understand the buyers, the personas, and what I call their coin op. What are the challenges or opportunities that they have? What are the impacts of not solving that challenge or not capitalizing on that opportunity? What needs does that create if they want to get from point A to point B? Um, What are the outcomes that they're looking for in some desired future state? And if you look at their needs and outcomes, how would they prioritize those? And then there's other things like what's their process that they go through? Who else do they work with when they make buying decisions? What's the budget that they've got? If you don't understand those things, then you are completely seller-centric and you're trying to to go to market in in a in a non-systematic way, just talking about your products. And today everybody, you know, there's a resurgence in the term product-led growth. Well, product-led growth is really great if you've you know, design something, you know, like now we can teleport, right? Well, nobody else offers that. And that is like a groundbreaking in, invention, right? Star Trek is here. So now we can teleport. Great. Now, do product-led growth all you want. But if you feel, but we're, you know, if you're not radically changing the world, then what you'd better be doing is understand what problems are my buyers having and how does my product or service solve those problems? and go with a problem-led or a buyer-centric approach. And if you don't understand their, their journey and their exit criteria or the decisions that they need to be able to make or things they need to feel comfortable with in each stage of their buying process, then, then you're selling on superstition and doing the same thing the same way every time and hoping that it's going to get a better result. Makes no sense at all, really. Mm-hmm. And who within the organization needs to have this systems-based understanding, do you think? Who would be the, I mean, from a, maybe we, we focus on the sales 
and marketing teams. Uh, of course, leadership has to understand this. But if we go down where the closer to the where the execution happens, where should the biggest responsibility to understand and build and improve these systems lie? Do you think? Well, I, I think it really is the the senior leaders of any function. So when I talk about personas, I usually use the word head of, right? So head of sales, whatever the title is, CRO, senior VP, mm -hmm. the top salesperson in that organization or sales leader in that company. I think they have to have an understanding because if they don't, they won't buy in. It won't get the support. They'll constantly be that master of disaster chasing the very last thing that went wrong as opposed to taking a systemic strategic view of things. You know, if, and then, you know, if you, if you have that person, then you can step back someone like, let's say in sales enablement, or, you know, a sales effectiveness function can step back and say, okay, let's think about all of the pieces of the sales value chain uh, from a talent perspective, from a buyer perspective, from a go to market perspective. And you can start putting systems in place. Like how are we going to hire more effectively? What is the sales hiring system that we should have to ensure that we bring the right people in and put them at the right seats on the bus? How are we going to help those people get ready to sell for us? What's the sales readiness system for that? Beyond that, or even as a part of that, what's the sales training system and, and how will we develop people over time, even after onboarding? And you know, what are the models that will follow for that? And you know, for example, in our sales training system, right? There's a there's a a whole piece of uh, of different parts that get pulled together. But there's in the execution piece is what we call the five stages of sales mastery and behavior change. Someone learns something new, and they it's presented to them in a way that helps them learn it. Um, then there's some purposeful thing done that will help them remember what they learned. Uh, then there's opportunity to practice and develop skill and get feedback and get better at it. Then there's something that guides them to actually use what they've learned on the job. That's where a lot of training breaks down, right? It never transfers to the workplace. And then once they 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 do it, then there's uh, you know something like a coach, for example, sales manager, other systems designed to help them achieve mastery over time. And so just because someone learned something, remembered it, practiced it, and tried it, doesn't mean they did it well or they continue to do it. And that's where the coach or systems like Membrane come in and remind them about how to do things. And the coach then can coach them to mastery over time. That would be, that's actually just a subsystem. That's part of the larger sales training system, which is actually part of the sales readiness system. You know, then there's the sales management system. What are the managers doing? What are the activities they're performing and in what cadence? What are the meetings that they're having with individuals in their team and in what cadence? What are the things that they're doing on a daily basis? How are they, how are they systematically coaching their people and in what cadence? Right. It's all about getting them into a rhythm and the things they're doing. And then they're the people who have to understand how to execute the sales hiring system and how to support the sales training system. And all of a sudden, just like Daniel Kim, uh, you know, uh, definition in the beginning, you have all these interrelated parts that start to come together and fit mm -hmm. together that create a highly honed, effective sales force. Now, that doesn't even mention, though, George, the content that goes into that system, 
which is based on your understanding of your market and your buyers and the problems that you solve so that when your sales force does go to market, they're doing it in the most effective way possible with a buyer-centric methodology that will help buyers make great decisions to solve problems that you can help them solve. That, to me, is how it all really comes together. And if yeah. a senior sales leader doesn't get that, and it's not supported even a level up from that, right, by the CEO and the COO in an mm -hmm. organization, now I think that organization has very little chance of ever completely capitalizing on their potential. I've gone into organizations time and again over the past 15, 16 years and easily seen the ability for companies to double their revenue without adding a single body. Mm -hmm. And yet most of them won't capitalize on that because they, they can't become as efficient and effective as possible by just following the ball around the field as opposed to having a real orchestrated plan using mm -hmm. systems thinking. Yeah. It's interesting when you, and, and thanks for that great explanation and, and laying out the land uh, there. Uh, what I've seen also is sometimes the, uh, the sales leaders get it, but if the higher ups don't embrace it, then they're going to be fired because the, 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 the senior leadership will not have the patience to await the results because it will take some time to put all these puzzle pieces in the right order and to build the system. It's not going to happen overnight. Right. I have to just know which one is the next um, priority and the priority thereafter. And that, that'll take some time. And, and, and leaders who know it and see it and want to do it, but are not supported from the top uh, are sometimes pushed out of the organization, uh, which is kind of sad to see. Well, it's why why senior sales leaders have a turnover of like, what is it now, every 18 to 24 months, you see these people turn over. I think what that forces us to do, and I see this in sales enablement a, a, a lot, it forces us to try to, to drive the bus and change the tires at the same time. And that's just that's just reality in most organizations. So I think what we have to do is step back and say, what is the most effective way to do that? Because, you know, if you think about systems the way I just described it, described it, that's quite an elephant, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing. And it's why a lot of people don't take action because it's complex and it becomes overwhelming very quickly. But if you break it down into pieces and parts and you say, okay, in our organization, where does it make the most sense to start? Now, let's say at a company that's not doing a lot of hiring right now. And it's not forecasted for hiring uh, a lot for the next six to 12 months. Well, then investing and in putting a sales hiring system in place would really be a waste of time right now. Yeah. Now, you should probably start thinking about that before you're forecasted to start hiring and give yourself enough time to put a nice system in place that will help you be a lot more effective. But doing it right now would be the wrong place to start. But let's say that, you know, you're, you're, your current team is struggling to win deals and they have a high rate of no decision rates. And, you know, the deals take a lot longer for uh, people in the middle than the top producers do. Then you have a great opportunity to do a top producer analysis, see what the differentiating factors of your top producers are, write that into some training and get the training on those key pieces that will help 
move those deals forward and help the people in the middle perform more like top producers and start with that work and the sales training system to implement what you learn. Or if all that's going really well, but you know the, your sales management team is sort of in chaos and they're all doing their own thing, operating in fiefdoms rather than an aligned best practices methodology, then maybe starting with a sales management system would be the right thing. So if you if you can, whatever your circumstances are, right? It's there's nuance about that, right? It, you you start not in the same place every time, but based on what will help you the most, and then do one, and then look at the others and say, okay, now based on our circumstances, what's the next one that makes the most sense? And this is what I teach sales enablement folks with the building blocks, right? There are a dozen building blocks of sales enablement. It's supported by systems thinking and cross-functional collaboration and communication, and in some cases, even sales support services. So when you look at all of that, it's overwhelming in and of itself, but you say, okay, let me use these building blocks as a way to assess where we are. What are we doing relative to these blocks? And where are we coming up short? In the areas where we're coming up short, based on our circumstances and root cause analysis, what would the first thing to do be? What should the second thing I do be? And then all of a sudden, now you have a plan for moving from point A to point B that will get you to a far more effective state, but you can do it one chunk at a time. And if senior sales leaders who are not getting enough support for an entire systemic approach or an entire sales transformation um, all at once, right, which is a probably a 36-month journey, mm -hmm. then start at the place where you think it's going to help you the most and engage someone like or hire a, a sales enablement or sales effectiveness leader that can help you start to put these pieces in place and just start to eat the elephant one bite at a time. That's the only thing I I know to do in those in those situations. Yeah. And so, sort of like we talked about how, you know, venture capital and innovation funding, um, you know, uh, changes how some of these companies grow and some of the challenges that um, that spawns. It's very similar that the, you know, the, the stock market for public companies does the same thing. Everyone has short-termitis. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they, they don't have the long view um, and, you know, that's just going to be a reality, at least in public companies. Uh, so you're going to have to eat that elephant one bite at a time, pick the things carefully, implement, execute, get good results, and then layer something else on top of that. And, you know, it all comes back to another type of system, uh, uh, systems thinking, George, instructional systems design, right, where one of the precepts is chunking, sequencing, and layering. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you chunk like things together? How do you sequence them and put them in an order that makes sense? And then once you get one chunk learned, how do you layer another one on top of that? How do you layer another on top of that chunk sequence layer? And that simple process from instructional systems design can actually be applied in a lot of other business thinking. Yeah. And if you generalize and you would invest in a mid-sized company that hasn't been growing so well, uh, you you're you're not allowed to go in and analyze everything, uh, but you have to place your bet on whom, who to enable. Would you, mm -hmm. Where would you place your bet on sales, focusing on the sales uh, department, sales leaders, 
managers, frontline managers, or salespeople? Well, I would start with the buyers because no matter what you do next, right, you've got to understand um, your buyers in your market so that you know how to go to market and sell to them most effectively. So let's just say that that foundation at least is in place. Uh, if I could only do one thing, right, my old joke that I've been telling for years is if I had a dollar to spend on sales training or sales enablement, um, I'd spend 75 cents of that on the sales managers. If I can only start one place, I'm starting with sales management. Because if you can get them in an effective rhythm and cadence doing the right activities, and you can have them doing those activities um, and best practices like uh, territory optimization, um, uh, account planning and account management, um, you know, their, their team and in, in individual meetings that they're holding, forecasting, pipeline management. If you get them doing the right things in the right cadence using best practices, and part of that is uh, diagnosing what their team's needs are, and then either training or coaching or counseling, whatever they need to help their team take the, the next level up. And that would include understanding the buyers and how to sell to them most effectively. If you get that in place, you're going to impact everyone the manager touches. Now, I would like to take it from both angles. I'd like to be teaching and enabling the sales reps, the frontline sellers, as well as the managers. But if I could only pick one, I'm going for the managers. And if you look at the way that, that it works today, almost everyone is pointing everything at the frontline reps mm -hmm. and managers get the short end of the stick. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of why I asked the question, because I see that a lot, that the investment is made by uh, to to um, upskill the sales team, salespeople on a new hot methodology. So that's the shiny object again. And sometimes the managers are not, are not even invited to the train, uh, which to me is complete madness. How how are you going to coach and 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 mentor the your salespeople if you haven't even gotten the training? They <laughs> it's just so many crazy things going on. I've had I've worked in organizations, George, where um, they didn't initially want to train the managers first on what the reps were learning. And my my way around that, whenever I could sell it in those situations, was, well, let's train the managers first so we can get their feedback on the program and make any adjustments to it before we roll it out to the frontline sales reps. And so they were going through the program to provide feedback. And mm -hmm. in my mind, they were going through the program because I wanted them to learn it and understand it and be able to coach to it. And after the managers went through, they were like, oh, wow. Yeah, this uh, so, you know, hey, you know, maybe think about doing this or this here. And we actually did get some good feedback. Right? But what it really got them was a grounding in the program. And so they could coach. And then I said, well, why don't you, know, why don't you attend again when your team goes through mm -hmm. it? They were like, oh, yeah, that would be great. That way I could be part of it with them. And, well, and you know, I, I always felt a little sad that I had to almost trick people into doing that in, in some cases. Now, there were other organizations who were like, no, how could we ever possibly roll something out to our reps if our managers didn't fully understand it? Um, you know, so, you know, those are obviously the, the ideal situation, but, you know, it won't always be ideal. Um, and, you know, there are some times when organizations won't do it, and then you can at least provide some type of manager toolkit or 
for our course, Modern Sales Foundations, we created what we call a manager support guide, which is a bunch of questions the manager can ask their reps in a meeting. It includes um, practice activities that they can do. It includes using some worksheets and preparing to you know, use these new skills with a client. And then it gives them some coaching tips. And you know, sometimes even though the manager wouldn't go through the program, which would not be my preference, they would at least have something that would help them guide their reps and help them understand the program as well. So I think there are things that we can do as sales enablers and sales effectiveness leaders um, to help organizations see the light. Mm -hmm. uh, because once they go through that and they experience it that way, then the managers start to say to, you know, to their senior leader, hey, this was, you know, this really helped a lot or, you know, boy, I really appreciated going through this program before my people did. And, you know, over time, you can start to change the culture a bit. Yeah. So you've referenced uh, some of your work, uh, for instance, the strategy, tactic, execution uh, um, guide, I guess we should call it. Uh, and, and some other of the work you've done that is related to systems thinking. Where could people go to find out more about that if they're curious? Yeah, so uh, I work for Sparks IQ. It's S-P-A-R-X-I-Q.com. And they can, you know, check us out on the website. They can write to us at hello at SparksIQ.com. I love that email. Um, <laughs> they can find me online at uh, on LinkedIn pretty easily. It's Mike Kunkel. K-U-N-K-L-E. There is a Mike Kunkel E-L who's a famous cartoonist with Hero Bear, but I'm not that guy. So you can find me on on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, reach out. Uh, I publish a lot of free content, George. There's a ton of content on the blog. My Modern yeah. Sales Foundation's co-author, Doug Wyatt, has been publishing some killer good stuff on our blog. We do a lot of webinars. We're here on the Sales Experts channel like you are. Uh, so, you know, there's a ton of free content out there that people can uh, feel free to grab, too. But if anybody wants to chat about systems thinking, training systems, pretty much anything in this uh, field, and you know what, to be honest, not, for not all of this stuff is something that we sell, right? Um, right. You know, so, you know, we do advisory services for things that we don't have products for. But, uh, you know, I'm not even trying to hawk anything here. This is just a real interest for me because I think the more that we can become systems thinkers and use systems thinking in business, and the more that we can become strategic, uh, you know, before we're tactical and before we try to execute, yeah. the better results we're going to get. And that's how, as a as a as a team, uh, we will all kind of be able to band together and elevate the sales profession. And I think we're at a tipping point where we need to do that because if we don't, buyers are now saying, and you know, more and more every year that they would rather avoid salespeople than work with us. Mm -hmm. And we have to change that. Yes. Yeah. We're in complete alignment there and uh, happy to hear you say elevate the sales profession because that's, that's the mission I'm on at least. Uh, so that's great fun to hear you say that. So thanks a lot. And I've, I've been following your work for years, as you know. I, I love your work. And I would recommend anyone um, listening or, or viewing this episode to follow Mike. It's uh, fantastic work you're doing. Thank you very much, George. And uh, we have a mutual admiration society. I think that the way that you're approaching helping sales forces 
actually execute and implement more effectively through membrane is top notch. So um, thanks for what you're doing as well. Cool. Thank you very much for your time today and see you, you, you soon. Ciao. All right. Bye, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Membrane.com, the sales enablement platform that helps you make how you sell into your competitive advantage. Whether you need to prospect better, manage your opportunities and pipeline better, improve your account planning and account growth activities, Membrane is the solution for you. So go to Membrane.com and fire up a trial today. You will not regret it because remember, how you sell matters.